Welcome to Stories from the Center of the Universe, the podcast about the human experience. Bill Gatewood, welcome to the Center of the Universe. Thank you, Paul. Pleasure to be here. Now, you're probably thinking you live in the Center of the Universe and you have for quite some time, but the podcast... When two people talk like we're talking, I kind of view that as the center of the universe. So it's almost like you're in the center of the center of the universe. Well, I actually found the center of the center of the universe one day in Bart Shaw's old coffee shop, he pointed out. Well, <laughs> there was tell a, me more. There was a coin on the floor, like a roof and nail had been nailed in. And I saw it one day, and of course, I think it was as a joke, it was glued to the floor. So people would come in and pick it up. and. <laughs> Entertainment for the folks there, for sure. Yeah, and of course I fell for it. I went pick it up, didn't pick up, and he said, "Now you know where the center of the center <laughs> of the universe was." And I thought, "Oh, what a good marketing thing for for his store when he had it." Yeah, I mean, if I was recording a podcast at the nail, we'd be at the center of the center of the center. <laughs> I think. So where the real center of the center of the universe at the moment is, I'm not sure, but at this moment, it's right here. Of course. <laughs> All right, so. You're, you're connected to Downtown Asheville Association because you're a resident and you want to see small businesses do well, but you were actually on the board for a while. You were the president of the board. How, how did you get involved in Downtown Asheville Association? It goes back to the start of train day. Okay. Of course, as you know, I was a police officer for many years here, and one of my responsibilities was handling special events. Mm. And train day started getting bigger and bigger and became a came to the attention of the police as in me one day getting a call for all these kids standing on the railroad tracks and I, I go over there and there are probably 50 kids all running around crazy like goats in the street or whatever and I crowd them all up and ask the kids what are y'all doing here and they said it's train day and I'm like what's train day <laughs> <laughs> so I go inside the library and say hey you know I'm not sure what y'all got going on but you got all these kids running amok on the streets what can we do to keep them? And they apologized when we got things going. And I said, if you need any help with a, an event down the road, let me know. That's kind of what my job responsibility is. So the following year, you know, they had the event and it got a little bigger beyond their, their uh, inside of the, of the library and it expanded outside. And so it got bigger and bigger. It got too big for them. And I ended up helping them, you know, do a little planning and how to close the street off and stuff. And then it got to the point where it was too big for the library. And um, I don't know if you remember, Jim Donlin used to run Traintown Toy. Yep. Um, and I don't remember, he was, he, he was on both sides of the tracks, but I don't remember which side it was at that time. But anyway, he got involved. They asked him for a train set to put on display. And of course I knew Jim and somehow we just got connected and, and kind of paired up to help. We didn't want to see that event. It turned out to be so popular, but the library couldn't handle it. So we kind of partnered up and got a couple of people involved in it and it kind of grew. And then Jim ended up moving to South Carolina to retire, but the event got so big, it didn't have the things a big event would have. It wasn't insured, it wasn't, uh, didn't have a checkbook, you know, the things mm -hmm. you need to do to, to pay people and, and stuff. And I got thinking, we gotta find somebody, who, organization that could to take it under their wings. And somebody mentioned Downtown Ashland Association, which mm -hmm. was the previous name of, I'm sorry, mentioned Ashland Main Street Association, which was the 
predecessor name for downtown Ashland. And um, so I searched them and I looked it up and I knew some of the people on that board and I contacted them and asked if I could come to one of their meetings and present their mission and statement and all about what they do was exactly what train day would do in bringing people in and promoting you know commerce and just the vitality of downtown right so I went to the meeting and I and of course I had done a little research and had some notes and went in and passed out some paper to the people and said you know this is what y'all's mission was and this is what downtown I mean uh, what Ashland train day would do for you and I said I would love to see this event absorbed by you all and that way it would have insurance and you know checkbook and all that sort of stuff and they said they talked about it for a minute and said well we agree under one stipulation and I'm like uh oh <laughs> this is not gonna be good and they said that you come with it and you be on our board ah. and I'm like oh you didn't see that coming <laughs> I didn't see that coming at all so bingo now I'm on the board because Jim Donlin had been on the board and he was moving so they appointed me in his unexpired I think it was three-year terms at right. that point so I I think I had two years to fill out for his so that didn't really count as a you have a two-term limit but that was not a I won't say an official term but that was a unscheduled term so anyway I stayed on and they you know as we had the board and it grew and then um, and of course you know Tom Wolf Tom was the executive director for um, Ashland Main Street and of course I got to know Tom and it, people when they become presidents of the board they're like counting the days down until they're not the president anymore <laughs> and Tom asked me he said you know and he had known me for a number of years and he said Bill I would love for you to be our board president if you would do that and I said gee Tom you know doing this and I said he said it would really help us out and I said I thought I said let me think it over and and I did and went back to him the next day and said you know I would have said no but I knew Tom was really knocking it out of the park for what he was doing with the organization and I said I'll be president if you stay on as the executive director uh. he was a part-time person and he agreed so I agreed and I became the board president for a two-year term and then I continued until my uh, Two terms had run out, so I had, I think, six, eight, eight years on the board. It's a long time. Yeah. And then I'm now a volunteer like a lot of other people because I've done my time. Right. But it, it was an organization that I thoroughly enjoyed being a part of. And through my job, ha having worked in the town for years and years, I knew a lot of people and knew pretty much where everything was. And it was a, it was a good fit and it was a fun thing. And I enjoyed being out and seeing people and talking and, and those kind of activities so why would I just give it up and just disappear right. so I stayed on and because I enjoyed it and of course train day I end up being the chairman after Jim and I were kind of like co-captains co of the team so to speak but then when he left I became the chairman of it just by default <laughs> I couldn't find anybody who would want to be the chairman so I uh, fulfill that role until it was kind of time I, I'd done my tour I guess I think uh, I ran it for like seven eight nine years or whatever oh wow and then it was time to pass the baton on I, I had given up 
maybe four months each year straight trying to help organize it and put the event on every year. And, you know, when you got a spouse and family and all, you kind of get the, what are you doing? Where are you going to be? Um, you know, we still exist, don't you? Remember you married me? So it's like, okay, I'm kind of seeing the writing on the wall. So, but it's not something I just wanted to move on and not have it be a part of anymore. It's part of your heart, right? It's part of where you've lived for quite some time. I mean, you've been here since 77, you were telling me before we started recording. So what year did you join the board? Oh. Roughly? Mm, uh, I've probably been off board six years, so six and so eight, 09? 14. Probably somewhere around there. I retired from the, the town in 2008 from full-time work okay. and then worked eight more years part-time until I turned 60. Okay. So. All right, so from the time you joined the board till now, because you still have a really good feel for what Downtown Ashton Association does, has a lot changed in that time? I'm going to say yes. It's, it really took off in a lot of the projects from, like, You've Been Noticed to um, Untold Stories, uh, Ashton Halloween Now, Light Up the Tracks. There's a lot going on. And those are just the special event stuff, if you want to call it, you know, but the core was to help promote revitalization of downtown, get old buildings back in use, um, get people downtown to shop and visit, and you know, it's a big economic development thing. And, and I know Tom would kill me if I told him there are like four tenets of the Main Street approach, but economic vitality, um, the event stuff, and of course, that kind of fell in my lap because that's what I did for years and years with the town coordinating special events. So I've dealt with the runs, the parades, the 4th of July activities because I, I helped them coordinate that stuff for years and years. So I had a, a good feel of all the people in, in, in Ashland that, I won't say the movers and the shakers, but the people that were involved in activities that people love to come out and be a part of. Ashland Train Day is massive now. How many people do you think showed up to this last one? I would dare say fifteen and 20,000 people. There's no way to really quantify the amount, but there are little indicators, like the library has a clicker on the door, other businesses have clickers, the cash register sales. You, you kind of just get a rough guesstimate, but even if it's 5,000 or 25,000, we know it's popular. We know the streets are packed, people loving it. You don't hear people disgruntled about things. So it's not always necessarily the numbers because those people will come back. Let's just say it's at roughly 18,000 visitors. And what's the population of Ashland? Roughly seven. I was going to say less than 8,000. So more than tripling the population of Ashland for, for that weekend, right? Yeah, from an event that was a, a reading day inside the library's little multi-purpose room for like two years that kids all came in and listened to stories being read and a storyteller and some other things to closing down five blocks on Route 54 and uh, slowing the trains down and bringing in 15 model train exhibitors and probably 50 or more vendors on the streets, it has just snowballed. I mean, you, I, can, I imagine you from the Ashland Library 
reading room mm -hmm. days till to now, you, it has to. If you had, uh, you couldn't have imagined what it became back then. No, no. But I had an idea of following things like the Strawberry Fair. I've been involved with the Strawberry Fair for I think this year was 40 years. Mm. Wow. And I remember, I believe the second year or the third year, it started. I was hired in in August right after the Strawberry Fair was over. I think their second year. Mm. And it was out in the middle of the football field on the college in the just so blistering hot. sun. So, so hot. Couldn't have been the worst place in the world to have the fair. <laughs> and just seeing, you know, 25 or 30 tables set up with craft stuff on it to now 300 plus booths, five blocks of Henry Street and Patrick Street and Caroline Street to see the growth where now that's been estimated up to 40,000 people. So. Yeah, just so, seeing these things, you know, grow has been phenomenal. Yeah, so back to trade day, I, I understand we have people, at least one person that comes from Europe for Ashland Train Day, and I think he comes or tries yeah. to come every year. Stephen Metcalf lives in England. <laughs> we had one this year from uh, Germany. Yeah, it's crazy. Honey, I think, I don't know his last name. I think his first name is like H-I-N-N-Y. Um, and then Virginia, I mean, from the U.S., from California to New York to Florida and Texas. In fact, we've got a, a new resident who moved from California to here as a retiree just because of train day. <laughs> and he lives on the tracks, Don Root. So I grew up two blocks off the tracks. Have you lived near the tracks? No, I live just outside the borders of the town limits. Okay, so I've, I grew up, I spent 18 years two blocks from the tracks, and you get used to it. Oh, but, yeah. But I'm not... It's a special kind of person that says, I want to move here to be near trains and the tracks and that sort of thing. But I think what it is, with Ashland in particular, we are a very, very special place. Definitely. Uh, and so people don't come from Europe or California just for any old railroad town. But what do you think it is that makes Ashland so uh, unique? For train day, well, I've, I have to give credit to virtual rail fan cameras. Internet, that, internet helps. That put train day on the map um, the fellow who runs that lives in Tennessee named Mike Sear mm -hmm. and I think the cameras have been up five years maybe six years in that ballpark and like you said the internet the, those things cameras stream year-round and people can watch it and I would now I'll tell you I was blown away at how many rail fan people are out there it's like you know, you would go by the train station, you'd see grandma with the two young grandchildren every once in a while, and they'd be sitting there waiting to watch for a train. But once those cameras came up, and I don't say the word got around, but you know, the people realized that there was cameras there and how to access them and, and watch trains, it just went crazy. And that's, that's the only way we, we can figure that all these people from Europe and all over the U.S. Yeah, I got I here. But there have to be cameras on other uh, train yeah. tracks or crosses. Well, they are. Like they, they have them all around the U.S., but we have been consistent, I think, as like in the top five cameras in the United States. Wow. And it's just unbelievable. And when you talk with those folks, they'll tell you, like, on train day, yeah, we maybe had two, 300,000 views that day. And I'm like, where do these people come from? Where are these people there? Yeah. Are they secretly watching their computers somewhere at home? But how many people? And it's, it's not unusual for 
on a regular day, two or 300 people to be watching the cameras here. And I, I have to say that was a big boost for train day. And then of course, as the word got out about it, you know, other people here and they tell folks and all of a sudden people are here coming in, bringing the kids and all. Yeah. Train events, there's a Richmond train day. There was uh, at the, uh, what's the, old Southern train station over on Hull Street. Oh yeah. They, they created a train day as a result of us. And, um, but Ashens is bigger, I imagine. Oh yeah, theirs is a couple thousand maybe at the most people. Yeah. Um, and they're actually at their train station. Um, Chesterfield County Library System created the train day and they've had that for a couple of years until COVID hit. Mm. And I haven't heard back from them since that. Uh, but other train events and all, and now passenger train stuff around the state, excuse me, the Buckingham Branch Railroad that, mm. you know, goes back through Doswell and all, they now have excursion trains mm. out of Stanton to go both ways that were new this fall. They haven't run them yet. And then that train, the steam locomotive called the 611, that's housed down in Roanoke at the Virginia Transportation Museum, I think that's the right name of it. Yeah. It's an old Norfolk and Western uh, engine. It, it is like one of the biggest locomotives in the world there. That's gonna run this fall on the Buckingham Branch tracks. And I would dare say that, that ha that's a result of the train activity being viewed by so many rail fans now. And it could be a new fad, you know, like pickleball. I never had heard of pickleball <laughs> two years ago, and now it's, it's everywhere. It's everywhere. I think the train activity, people loving to see trains again. And yeah. it's one of those nostalgic things that has um, reverberated and just, you know, come back. Yeah, and if, in, if you live in certain parts of the country, maybe mm -hmm. it's downtown in a big city or way out in the country, you may not run into trains on a, on a daily basis, but if you live in Ashland. And it is, it is interesting to see people when they come to, to town, you know, because obviously now I have train interest, but you go by the train station and see people sitting there and you see the awe in, in kids. And I like, I just love that and seeing children developing that interest in, in the rail industry and more come and more come and they're just so excited and seeing the amount of cameras i did an interview gosh six seven years ago with channel six they came up and wanted to do a live uh on-site interview on train day at like six in the morning when it was still dark mm. and i think it was antoinette essa and she came up and we met the station and i was so used to you know in technology changes i was used to the big truck with the 10-foot satellite dish and, you know. You knew the camera crew from the television station was here <laughs> back in the day, yeah. Well, I was like, I asked when we met, I said, well, where's your truck and all? She said, well, we just came in a car. And I'm like, car? I said, yeah. I said, well, don't you have to have the big satellite dish thing to beam up to the sky and back? I said, oh, no, that's old. She said, well, that little box there looks like a, like a little kid's metal lunchbox. Huh. We just plug the cord into it, and, and it goes through the cellular telephone network. So we just, wherever we can get a cell signal, we're live. We don't have to have satellite trucks and all that. So anyway, we, we did our interview and they pan, you know, she's asked me questions and we're talking about train day and I don't remember a train came by, but then they panned out and at six in the morning, you know, I'm only up at six if the house is on fire or something. <laughs> and here are all these people with their tripods 
there probably were at least a dozen from teenagers to you know grandparents at six in the morning already set up with their tripods and cameras waiting for train day to start and like these are some hardcore people hardcore wow all right so uh I have two questions and I'm going to go, I'm going to pivot to the one when I was a kid. If you saw me and my friends putting pennies or dimes or nickels on the tracks as a law enforcement officer, would you have said, oh, that's just what kids do in Ashland or would you have told us to get away from the tracks? Probably in my early years, I would have just pulled up and said, get off the tracks. You know, you, you mature and develop as you go through a police career. Right. Now I probably would have stepped out and said, Hey guys, you know, this is this is fun, but it's not really safe. Right. That was something I learned over the years through experience. That you know, you're a little more mellow, you're a little more experienced, and you're a little more tolerant. But you know how to talk to people. Right. That was the biggest thing I learned in my my career was how to talk to people, because there were some big guys that could have picked me up and thrown me across the room, and yet they let me put them in handcuffs, take them away because I was nice or firm or fair or whatever. Right. So with the kids putting pennies on the tracks, yeah, hey guys, I know what you want to do, but you got to think that if that train comes by, it might squish that penny and it's going to come flying out or, you know, you do it, then everybody else wants to do it. And the next thing we know, we've got 10 people standing in the tracks and right. we just can't do that. Yeah. So you just, you learn how to deal with people and handle it. All right, so you grew up in Richmond, but you came to Ashland at some point. Tell, tell me about where you grew up and then how you ended up in Ashland. Well, I'm a Richmond City boy. My family's from Richmond. My grandparents are from Richmond. Um, got a summer job. I'd always known I wanted to go into police work. And I don't know how that particularly led me to King's Dominion, but when they opened, that was everybody was going to work there, but I didn't go. I, I had a love for cars, so when I first got a summer job, I worked at a a gas station, which I had like, oh my, I felt like in heaven where I could tinker with cars and things like that. But then as I got closer to 18, somehow found out that Kings Dominion had a security department mm. and so many people would go there to, to, to get into their start in police work. So I had applied and got a summer job there and you had to be 18 to work in security. Other jobs you could start at 15. So I worked there, started in 1976. That was the second year that the main park was open. The Lion Country Safari opened in 74, <laughs> and then the rest of the park opened in 75. So I went up there the second year the park was really open. And I guess maybe that summer or into maybe the beginning of the next year, I met my wife, Cindy, working there. She was sitting in a cart scoping out people I give her that, well, the way I describe it. She was, she probably would have been canned, but she, she was working a little cart stand, and I walked by, and she spoke to me and said, you look really hot. Would you like something to drink? Well, I kind of knew that that was a no-no. said, I got some water here. You could give somebody water. So I, like, took this cup, and I went to take a big gulp of it and almost choked on it because it was very carbonated Sprite. <laughs> <laughs> and after I almost like have spit that out because the carbonation almost killed me and it, she looked at me and smiled and, and kind of like our eyes met and that was it we met so so basically love at first sight just about yeah I'm gonna say so okay 
So we dated on through the next year, through the next summer, and after, I think at the end of the summer, I proposed to her. That second year, the people in security, most of them were Randolph-Macon students. Mm. So that second year, of course, I worked that first year with these guys, and the second year, and I, well, the first year I was driving back and forth from Richmond. That's a long haul. Oh, yeah. And, but I stayed up here many a time for a party at the KA house at the college. And as you and I were talking earlier, KA was just like the Animal House movie, Fraternity House. Had to be back then, yeah. Oh, my gosh, yes. So the second year, after knowing all the guys working there, I rented a room in the KA house for the summer. And I can't tell you everything that happened in the fraternity <laughs> house, but there was definitely some libations flowing over the summer. You, and, had a, you had a good time. Oh, my gosh, yeah. And that's how I really kind of learned what was in Ashland. And after that summer, then, you know, I had to propose to Cindy and then kind of a realization, you know, we get married, we got to find a place to live. So uh, I was trying to figure, well, Richmond is halfway to, I'm sorry, Ashland is halfway to Richmond and halfway to uh, Beaverdam. Ashland would probably be a good middle ground for both of us because Cindy was still working at King's Dominion. I was working there. I'd gone from summer job to a full-time job there. Yeah. And then we were married the following spring in February. So I robbed the cradle. She was 18 and I was 21. <laughs> and we ended up living in the Henry Clay Apartments here in town. Okay. And we were there for about a year. And then there were what's now Pufferbelly Park. Used to have a bunch of houses on the Myrtle Street side. And we ended up finding a house there that we rented from you may remember uh, Dr. Webb. Yeah, Dr. Webb was a dentist here mm -hmm. in town. Sure. He owned those properties, and we rented from him. And we were there maybe two years. And I was looking for a police job and ended up finding one in Wintergreen Resort. Ah, uh, okay. And when we were married, uh, my next-door neighbors in Richmond gave us, they had a condominium up there, and gave us the use of their condo for the weekend for a wedding present. So we went up to Wintergreen and for the weekend, not on our honeymoon, but after some time. And when we got up there, they had this huge forest fire and everything was shut down, couldn't do anything. So we helped them put out the forest fire and got to talk to some of the police officers up there and like, hey, this is kind of a cool place here. So I applied for a job and ended up getting hired and we moved up there for three years. And Wintergreen was new at that time, so everybody was up there partying and carrying on. And it was, you know, after the 60s, it was still a very much um, behavior that's not approved of. Um, and we realized that we were the enemy to everybody mm. because we were the police. Yeah. And they were all the partiers and doing everything else. So we decided and, and of course, at that time, Wintergreen, you had, it was not open to the public per se that you could just drive in. You had to be going to ski in or something, but you just couldn't just get in the car and cruise around. It was very restricted, like a gated community. So the people up there, the locals, were very upset because they used to hunt and have free reign, and now they were all being turned away. So we were very limited to people who we got along with, not because we weren't friendly, but it was just the situation. Yeah. So we decided to come back to Ashland and 
we were looking for jobs and of course Cindy went right back to King's Dominion probably six months earlier. She only missed one summer working at King's Dominion and when I got back got the job with Ashland and I was there for 26 years full-time and eight years part-time. What was it about Ashland that brought you guys back? I mean obviously you're from Richmond, she's from Beaverdam, but well, you, could, you could have moved to anywhere in the world. True. I had applied at Henrico County, I'm sorry, uh, Chesterfield County, City of Richmond. They had jobs open in, in Ashland. And I was kind of like, I think I'll just take the first one that offers me a job. Yeah. And that's what I did, Ashland. I, the great thing was I had taken the test in Chesterfield County like the weekend before. And then the, the next weekend I took the, the test at Ashland. Well, it was the same test. So it's always nice to take the same test over knowing what the questions were from the previous. Yeah, plenty of time to think about it. Yeah. yeah. So I don't remember how many people applied, but anyway, I obviously passed, got hired, and they say the rest is history. So that's kind of. You've been here almost five decades. That's hard to think that, but yeah. since. 77, right? Yeah. I mean, in 2027, it'll be 50 years. You know, when I grew up in Richmond, I couldn't tell you whether I, I even knew where Ashland was or I even heard of it. The only time I know that I, was, I had been to Ashland was on the, the original Santa train that left from Broad Street Station. And the only thing I remember about the train ride was Santa never came in the car that I was in. <laughs> so that was the disappointing thing. Rode from Richmond to Ashland and ne back and never saw Santa. I was. <laughs> but you were on his train. Yeah. Uh, all right, so you volunteer today. What are the volunteer opportunities for uh, our listeners that they can get involved in helping Downtown National Association or any of the either standard events that happen every single month or the special events? How can they volunteer? Well, just phone call. You know, we now have marketing director, Lou Keaton, as everybody <laughs> knows, very famous gal. Uh, Maggie Longus is our executive director. Uh, she's been there six, seven years, people don't realize I hired her. Did the, I was the board president at the time when we were looking and we hired her. So just reaching out to any of them and saying, hey, you know, I'm available, whether it's a fourth Friday or train day or light up the tracks or Ash and Halloween, there's so many things you can do. And it doesn't have to be special events. I am sure either one of these gals would more than appreciate somebody coming in to help with mail-ins or whatever to get things out, whether going out and interviewing people or, or call, making calls to get people to participate in events. Um, there's just got to be just an sundry of stuff. Very cool. Right, last thing, I learned this just before we started recording. You, you and I went to our tribal high schools or schools, period. Who wins in a fight, a cougar against a saint? Who wins? Well, why would you even ask that question? <laughs> the saint may have some stuff going on that the cougar doesn't understand, maybe. <laughs> Cougars, wow. <laughs> well, Bill, it's been great talking to you. Uh, we said 30 minutes. We're at 31 minutes, so I uh, really appreciate you doing this. Appreciate your service to the town of Ashland. Thank appreciate you. your service. Uh, well, in both ways, as a law enforcement officer and as a member of uh, Downtown Ashland Association, and you continue to serve today. So I really appreciate you joining me. And, well, thank you. It's uh, fun, and I enjoy it. Thank you for listening. 
If you enjoy this episode, please subscribe to wherever you listen to podcasts. We'd also really appreciate if you'd rate and review us. You can find us at scodopodcast.com. Thank you.